getting harder and harder for like poor low income people to like, you know, even rent, let alone like have any chance of like buying a home and having stability that way. And it's just something that like the DC government right now, maybe never, but at least right now is like really not prioritizing. And, you know, there are affordable housing measures, there are things that they're doing, but it really feels like the people who have control over these things are really more interested in DC, like DC looking good. I think like, and that's, you know, we talked about the streetcar and I think that's what a lot of what the streetcar is about is having this like, you know, like revitalizing H Street, making H Street feel like this hot pop in place. So like businesses will want to come and will attract people from outside the city to move here who have more money. Meanwhile, poor people and people of color are getting like displaced in droves out of the city. Welcome back to I'm the Villain. Today, we are going to be talking about local politics in D.C. because this is something that I feel strongly about, that people should really be involved um, in their local politics, and it can definitely be more entertaining than it sounds. Um, So today, um, we're going to be talking with David Lazier, who's a friend of ours and also the son of somebody who is running for D.C. Council. So... We're going to, you know, whatever, try to have an objective conversation. But I feel like you have some, <laughs> I, prob- I probably you know, need to bring some, in bias, some bias, you know, but that's fine. You know, I'm OK with not having an objective conversation about 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 the at- about yeah. the, the at large seat, at least. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because, like, I feel like with local politics, that is just more of a like the whole thing is that, like, you're more likely to actually know somebody. Right. That's like the whole point of it being local is that it's just closer to you, right? And so people are probably going to have more of this like popularity contest thing going on, yeah. right? Okay. Um, so David, do you want to just give the people a quick, you know, a few sentences about who you are and like what you do and that kind of thing? Sure. Yeah. My name is David Lazier, um, born and raised in DC. I grew up in Brooklyn and Ward 5, and now I live in Petworth. DeAndre and I are actually roommates. Actually, I feel like right now I'm gonna, I'm gonna take credit for this podcast because I think I introduced you to Isabel and I know each other from college. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take full credit for this podcast right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah I'm from DC. Um, I'm a I'm a tenant organizer, and uh, my dad is actually running for city council right now. Ed Laziri is running for the at large spot. So um, and he all and he was always very plugged yeah. into local politics growing up as well. So I feel like I've always I've always been somewhat plugged in and had some like you know insider insider scoops um so yeah that's who i am yeah we were excited to have david on the pod one because he is obviously a friend but also he is a dc native which i think is a perspective that you know like this pod really needs if we're going to be talking about dc local shit (laughs) i feel like so much of uh doing elections and local politics is just like getting people to recognize your name just like I feel like just like a battle to like have people have like even like hear about yeah, you. It feels weird. Like I have a very similar story from when I was attending school in North Carolina. There was this woman who was like the she was like the incumbent like secretary of transportation or something like that. Or but it was she had some kind of title, but um also that also resulted in her having jurisdiction of all of the elevators in North Carolina. And making sure they were safe. And her name is Cherry Berry. And <laughs> Cherry Berry, obviously an amazing name for politics, right? But she 
she passed some some sort of mandate or created some sort of mandate that she put a like a little framed piece of paper in each elevator that said like this has been this elevator has been inspected and approved by Cherry Berry, and and it was wildly successful for her campaign like because everyone just knew everyone that ever used an elevator in North Carolina knew who Cherry Berry was, and she got reelected by landslide victories even though she was. A very, very, very conservative. Her policies were extremely conservative. She like, you know, she did not align politically with anything else. And like I said, elevators were a very small part of what her whole job was. But, um, in like in a very, very consistently blue district, she got reelected many times just because her name was in all of the elevators. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I know. There was a case in D.C. where somebody was running for some council seat and, like, no one had ever heard of them. Like, they weren't involved in politics at all, but they had a name that was really similar to someone who had been on the council, like, a couple years prior. And people were really worried that they were going to, like, either win or, like, siphon off a lot of votes just because their name was similar to another council member's name. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) And, like, (laughs) when you talk about local politics like this it makes it sound kind of like silly and inconsequential but it's actually like very important to be to be informed and like know what's going on with your local like with your your local political situation and i definitely am not where i need to be as it relates to dc (laughs) well well okay deandre if you were running the debates on dc local politics like and you were the moderator what kind of questions do you think they asked or like what would you ask what i ask i would ask questions that you like what do you think is going on in dc right now just based on like what you know was like kind of an average probably median like informed citizen yeah i would ask questions obviously about coronavirus I would obviously ask questions about homelessness. Um, I would ask questions about, like, taxes. Um, I'm not sure generally how, like, local D.C. politics interacts with, like, federal mandates about taxes and things like that. But to me, taxation seems like a big standing issue. And also D.C. statehood, which I know is a federal issue, so I'm not sure if the council can do much about that. Um... And, like, general, like, access to food, like, poverty stuff. Um, but, yeah, those are the big topics that would come into my head. Yeah. I think that's basically, so I watched the the DC, you know, debates, and I think you basically, like, hit most of them. They also talked about the streetcar. <laughs> <laughs> On 8th Street? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was like a really contentious issue. Marcus Goodwin is like, we need to invest in the community. We can't leave. Basically, the question was, do you think we should defer work on the streetcar because there's more pressing issues for us to be devoting money to right yes. now? Right? <laughs> the answer is yes. He was like, so much money on that streetcar. Yeah. It's he was like, how dare you like, you know, not invest in the community. This has really enlivened H Street and like so many more mm-hmm. people. Like we are really investing in that community and we can't mm-hmm. give up on them oh, now. And- I know more people who've gotten into bike accidents because of the streetcar than who regularly use mm-hmm. the streetcar. Yeah. Oh, and displacement, gentrification. I would also ask about that. And that's... The- yeah. Affordable housing, probably like economic development uh, as well, like education. I feel like those are topics yeah. that come up a lot. But I think... Yeah. Interestingly, interestingly enough, maybe the streetcar is like a kind of a good metaphor for like, I think some of the the like contentious issues that I see in DC politics, which is like 
establishment candidates that like want to support like development and gentrification and like brightening of certain areas quote unquote and like attracting you know like businesses or whatever and then like candidates that like claim to be like more focused on the you know the, the residents and the people of dc but david like is that is that kind of what you see yeah and i would say i agree with that i would say that every candidate would say that they're like focused on the residents of dc that they care about you know like racial justice like economic opportunity for all but then you know the marcus goodwoods would say the way to do that is by like spurring development just like making dc economically prosperous it's like very you know it's like very trickle down economics almost mm. yeah like but, you know, that's, and that's the way that they talk about it yeah it seems to me really is another thing right it seems to me like marcus goodwin and vincent orns are like very much the corporate interest candidates and like Definitely. yeah and like ed lazier will merrifield was actually i had not heard of him or even seen signs for him but he also seemed like he was really on the progressive side of the candidate pool i mean you know marcus goodwin is a developer he doesn't always like to highlight that but he you know he works for some big <laughs> damn you hate to see that he's a housing lawyer it was really funny when they had to like give their little intro statements introducing themselves they were like oh you know like this guy is you know the you know a public accountant and a public attorney this woman works for the office of human rights and then the last person michangelo scruggs and he was and he was introducing he's like a local podiatrist <laughs> and then that oh my god and then that guy in his like opening remarks keep making kept making like i've walked in our community <laughs> Uh, you know, we need somebody who will walk and talk with our constituents. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what do you, and this is a question to both of you, Elizabeth, because you watched the at-large debates and David, because you're familiar with it. Do we find that like, a, are people that run for office in DC, are they mostly from DC or are there a lot of like people that are, that have moved here at some point or recently? It's a lot of both. Yeah. I would say it's, it's a lot of both. I the council might even be split like almost 50 50 um and i feel like that's definitely something that comes up a lot in campaigns it's something that matters to people and it's you know it's obviously very racialized that people who've you know been in dc longer tend to be black and newcomers are you know more white um and that's um yeah i think like that's like marcus goodman in particular i feel like he really is like kind of playing up the fact that he is like from dc and grew up in dc as a way to try to like get voters to trust him and trust his messaging around um you know like equity and all that stuff mm, interesting but i would say yeah definitely both yeah and he was like i was an eagle scout like really trying to like <laughs> you know play up his local i mean i think that the people who just aren't local they just don't mention it and i don't feel like it it feels like this big divide between locals and non-locals you know and I think, I mean, I think it's definitely something that matters to voters. And I think it's something that should matter to voters. Uh, Cause I think that, you know, yeah, like you do, you can come up with a different perspective if you are like, like from a community you grew up there, or at least like have like really deep roots in the place where you're running. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's, it's one piece of information, but I think. Yeah. It's, it's I think something. it's relevant. <clears throat> yeah. In the capacity that you stated, I like, I, as someone that at some point wants to get into politics, I've thought a lot about the, like the, the ethicalness of you know like getting involved in local politics in a place that i'm like not from or not native to um and have, yeah i go back and forth on that but i still i think there's also a difference between 
you know, somebody who moves somewhere and runs in more of an opportunistic way, who hasn't lived in a place for as long, and they just like they see an opening versus somebody who may not be like from the place where they're running, but has been there for a long time and has put roots down and has like created the community there. So I feel like there's still like there's there's still levels within that. It's more than just like were you born somewhere, or were you not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about like the makeup of the DC government situation. Like, is does the power in in local politics in DC lie solely in like the council? So DC is interesting because um, you know DC is not part of a state, obviously, and so DC the DC government uh, acts in some ways as a city government, but also fills some of the roles that state governments tend to play. Uh, so it's more of a hybrid in that way, and I think that means that the DC government like might have even more power in certain situations than you know the council in the New York and Philadelphia and Baltimore and some other city. Um, but uh, every law that DC passes is also subject to congressional review. So you know the way a law is passed is council votes on it and the mayor signs it or vetoes it. And then after that, it has to go to Congress. Um, and most of the time they will pass laws, but things that are like, especially like, you know, like hot political issues, like for example, DC, um, legalized recreational marijuana recently, but Congress stepped in and stopped DC from passing laws, um, legislating the sale. So it's illegal to use and to own, but not to sell currently in the city. And that's, you know, not by DC's choice. Um, but otherwise, you know, it's pretty, pretty similar to how other, you know, other local governments work. There's a 13 member city council, uh, one council member for each ward, and then five at-large council members who represent the entire city. And then there's the mayor and all the mayor's offices and those positions are generally appointed. Um, and then, you know, we have our own local court system mm-hmm. as well. Are there the at-large seats, only two are up for re-election this year? Yep. Got it. Yeah. So all the council seats are four-year terms, but um, yeah, people come up for re-election staggered. times. Yeah, they're staggered. So you as like someone that's generally plugged into DC politics, um, like, what are your most important issues? And <laughs> I don't know. You know, you can you can decide how much you want to promote your your candidate or not. But yeah, I, I'm interested. I'm interested to hear from like a native about what you deem to be most important to you. I mean, I really like. I feel, you know, I feel like the biggest issue in DC to me, it is gentrification, and it is the fact that DC is you know like doing extremely extremely well economically. It's very prosperous, but. You know, it, that just means it's becoming more and more affordable uh, and people are, you know, people are being displaced. People are you know, spending all of their money on housing. It's getting harder and harder for like poor low income people to like, you know, even rent, let alone like have any chance of like buying a home and having stability that way. And it's just something that like the D.C. government right now, maybe never, but at least right now is like really not prioritizing. And, you know, there are affordable housing measures. There are things that they're doing, but it really feels like the people who have control over these things are really more interested in DC, like DC looking good. I think like, again, that's, you know, we talked about the streetcar and I think that's what a lot of what the streetcar is about is having this like, you know, like revitalizing H street, making H street feel like this hot pop in place. So like businesses will want to come and will attract people from outside the city to move here who have more money. Meanwhile, poor people and people of color are getting like displaced in droves out of the city. That's one piece of this, of the debates that I thought was really interesting is that people when they talk about housing, when they talk about investment in the community, like, they really don't... I was surprised, given how much people that I'm around talk about gentrification, like, 
they don't they really talk about it as like a a lot of these people are just talking about it as like a purely positive thing is like, you know, if this community is like underinvested in, we need to go invest in it. And that's going to be good for that community, as opposed to we are driving poor people out of those communities by making the rent higher. And I think it's tricky because, you know, it is good in the short term, right? It's like, um, you know, like you are getting like more businesses, more restaurants, things like that, you know, maybe even more like public transportation, more bus lines. And, but then, you know, 10 or 20 years down the line, all the people who lived there before are gone because they're not able to afford to live there anymore or, yeah. you know, or they've left and people who have filled their place are, um, you know, are wealthier. So, um, and I, you know, I think sometimes like because of that, like oftentimes, you know, like even in like communities that are right now being underinvested in, there are people who live in those communities who like welcome the development and welcome the like the new buildings and everything because it's like, you know, because it is immediately good and because it does represent like, you know, like revitalization and like all of that stuff. Um, but yeah, I like, I also, you know, if I wasn't like kind of like plugged into local politics, both through, you know, my job and jobs I've had and also through, you know, having a dad who's running for council and who's always been involved in local politics. I feel like the people who I actually interact with like socially and through work are all much more on the side of like gentrification is a very negative thing and we need to be doing everything we can to like slow the tide. But there are a lot of people in D.C. who would disagree with that. I mean, the only person I heard who really was, like, trying to come up with a, uh, like, the like an actual, like, radically different proposal was this Will Merrifield guy who was literally saying we need to create non-commodified housing as opposed to giving money to developers to just, like, oh, like, you know, build some affordable housing with, like, some percentage of the money. Yeah, with, well, like, the, some you know, tax incentive or, like, whatever, yeah. build here. Right. But like, does it seem like, what do you guys think about like that? That seems to be kind of the model for what, um, you know, investment typically looks like, right? Is a developer comes in and you're like, oh, we'll give you some incentives to build some affordable housing. And I feel like what I'd say to that is that like when DC points to, you know, like we've built, you know, 20,000 or however many units of affordable housing to show that they're doing something around affordable housing. Like, I think you, like, you really need to question what the word affordable really means, because in a lot of those cases, and that is that there actually is a law that um, when new buildings are built, I think like some, like maybe 10%, some percentage of the housing has to be quote unquote affordable. And, you know, sometimes that actually happens, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, and there are also deals that, you know, the government might give more money and have them make more affordable housing. But when you're talking about affordable, a lot of times you're talking about 50 or even 70 or 80% of AMI, of the area median income. And, you know, the area median income in DC is like, it's very high. You know, it's, I, like, it might be like, you know, 90,000 for a single person and like 140, 150,000 for a family of four. So even those units are like often out of, like, you know, there's, first of all, there's too few of them. So there's always, you know, there's lotteries and there's waiting lists. And if you're, if you're a person who is in need of affordable housing. This is something that I, you know, I come in contact with a lot in my job. I'll get a lot of calls, people who are just like, I need to find a place to live in my price range. Those aren't really a realistic option, both because they're oftentimes still very expensive and also because there's so few of them yeah. compared to yeah, and yeah, like compared to what the need is. Like you said, a building that's built in like Noma or, you know, Navy Yard or some really, really kind of hoity toity part of the city, the AMI is still gonna be really yeah. high. Exactly. And yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't, exactly. it's a really flawed system 
to try and basically you know create the benchmark for what is affordable and not affordable by that and like and i think developers know that yeah or and like and you know when people make these policies they probably know that too but i think to answer your question as of like what i think yeah i think i think oftentimes as david was saying affordable housing efforts do fall short of what like they're like quote unquote proposed to do and i think that dc's lack of focus on it i mean honestly kind of matches the federal landscape on it which is that like we don't really you know it isn't really talked about that much or like well and also we just don't have a good solution we don't, because yeah. like developers are the people who build houses yeah, and we you know that's right? how the united states has decided that we want properties and places of living to be handled like we want private private industry to take care of it and you know it's just it just isn't something that is talked about on a national or like at many times a local scale and i you know i i'm sure that there are other cities that maybe are coming up with more productive solutions to it but i don't know them off the top of my head like i feel like it's not that we don't have any solutions or we don't know what to do i think like you know i don't think anyone has a single plan that's like this would fix the housing crisis nationally but i think it is a lot more about you know the priorities that you know that legislators and people in power choose to take um, that there are, you know, there are a lot of things we could be doing, like both things that are like incremental and working within the existing system, like even just like providing more funding for affordable housing or, you know, more radical things like actually like, you know, decommodifying housing, creating universal public housing, even just investing more in current public housing. Um, so there's a lot of things we could be doing, but I think it, it's, you know, it's about priorities at the end yeah, of the I day. Have, I have a question. I wonder if you know anything about, like, do... Do we see like dark money or shadow money or like big corporate donors donating to like campaigns and for local government, at least in DC? Do you know about? That is a great question um, because DC actually um, passed some camp- campaign finance laws recently um, where if you commit to only taking donations from individuals and taking max donations of either 50 or $100 per person, depending on if it's a local, like a um, citywide race or a ward-based race. But I think for a citywide, it's max $100. Then the city up to a certain amount will match um, will match you five times. So for every $100 you get from a person, the city will give you 500 up to a certain point. And it's really, I guess, really even the playing field. I was working on, um, I, was, I was doing, I was volunteering with uh, the Janice Lewis George campaign, who was running for council in Ward 4. And she won her primary race, which in DC yeah. basically winning the election. She beat um, the shit out of that guy. But she had like so much, she had so much money. She had so many staff. And compared to my, like my one previous experience with the campaign is when my dad was running two years ago before this law had come into an effect. And he had, you know, he had three full-time staff people, maybe four. They were working from, you know, my childhood home. They like broke the dining room table because they like had so many papers piled onto it. And Janice had like a campaign office and full-time staff and paid volunteers and hired a ton of people like in the weeks leading up to the election. I was able to do a lot more advertising. And so that's something, so that campaign finance law, the matching law is something that people can choose to take. And I'm not sure, I do think there are still limits to, like, I don't think DC has super PACs. I think there are still limits to the amount that um, corporations can donate. I think it might be like $1,000. I just read that somewhere. I'd have to fact check that. Um, But there definitely is still shadow money. That's actually um, our last mayor before the current one, Vincent Gray, who is now still on the council. He was being investigated federally for taking illegal campaign contributions and he ended up losing probably partially because of that um and they ended up dropping the investigation but it is still you know the shady stuff still yeah. does happen but it feels like 
the laws that are on the books are like relatively. It feels like there may be even like more opportunity for you know for shady dealings at a local government level because maybe it's like less regulated than like at the federal level and Mm -hmm. and or easier and like it feels more tangible like you know if the mayor or whoever is like in bed with this developer then it's very tangible for the developer to be like yeah i'll give money to your campaign if you like make sure that we get the big contracts in the city or whatever yeah i mean it definitely it happens periodically when i I felt like when i was in high school there were two or three council members there were like two or three different scandals like related to things like that one person ended up going to jail i think that was i think he was using his campaign funds for like personal things maybe and you know even like even recently jack evans the war two council member um stepped down or was you know was forced to step down um i don't remember what the specifics were but it was yeah like you know a similar similar related scandal like basically making promises to people who were donating to him i think so it definitely does happen probably more than we know about and i think you're right it's probably easier one topic that i thought was kind of interesting as as um like a moral slash political stance is like the you know vincent orange was very pro this sort of like parroting the america first mentality is like this dc first mentality like one thing that they really were uh you know discussing was he wants to repeal the dc paid family leave act which is was literally just passed in july of 2020 <laughs> It was passed a while ago, but it just it was or only it just started implement yeah it was passed a few years ago, but yeah yeah it just started getting implemented, and it basically what it does is it allows parents to get eight weeks to bond with their children, six weeks to care for family members with serious health conditions, and two weeks to care for their own serious health condition, right? And his grounds for wanting to repeal this was he's like we are giving benefits to people who don't live in dc right because so many people commute into dc to work here why should we be allowing those people to benefit from our like generous policies in dc when they don't even live here right which is i think something that you could literally say about anything that basically benefits anyone here right like if you were trying to like you know have a have any kind of like benefits for people unless it's literally relating to housing, right? It's probably going to benefit some non-residents. What do you think about that? I mean, you know, I personally think that's a pretty bad take. Um, <laughs> like, you know, for any, like for anybody, like, you know, any reason that someone would have against paid family leave feels kind of, you know, callous and, you know, wrong to me, but I think like that's a particularly bad argument for a bad take. Because, you know, what about, you know, it's also helping everybody who works, in, who lives and works in D.C., uh, which is a lot of people. So if that's really your issue, there would be ways to legislate around that. I don't think we should. But, um, yeah, and that's actually, I feel like that's something, um, like, we were talking earlier about how it can be hard to look at somebody's website and, like, really get a sense of what their priorities are, how they differ from other candidates. And I feel like one thing that's helpful is looking at things like this that are, like, you know, paid family leave. That was that was a big like advocacy campaign in DC a few years ago, getting that passed. And I feel like it can be like looking both at where council members stood, like people who are currently in office on those issues, like when, like at the time, like, you know, it's public records that people vote and seeing how they stand now. I think that can be a really good barometer for like, you know, do I agree with this person? Do I, you know, like would I want to support them? It's like looking at those really specific issues. And some, I think that sometimes is the best way to actually figure out what someone's about. And, you know, to me, like even more than 
just him like uh, like the two of us disagreeing about whether or not DC should have paid family leave I feel like that to me feels like a much bigger indicator of like is this someone who has the same values as me is this someone who's going to fight for what I want to fight in DC as a whole is it someone I trust and you know I guess for him the answer is no it's also just wild to me that he's really trying to activate this like you know (laughs) like nationalism around like being a dc resident like oh how dare those maryland and virginia people like you know get benefits that were you know we're being so generous but like is that an argument that people actually find compelling <laughs> what? i mean it's an argument for the business people right and the business people you know have a strong lobby in dc uh, they have a lot of power they have a lot of money and they're you know they're the ones that in some ways are making dc all the money so but I'm, you know, I'm sure there are people who find that, like, you know, everyday people who don't own a business or who aren't, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But who do you think are the people who are, like, the front runners of this race? If people are really interested in, like, you know, looking more into their platforms and that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. So, um, I mean, so I'm not sure why it works this way, but there are two at-large seats up for re-election, but it's only one ballot and everyone gets two votes. So one seat is up for grabs because David Grass is stepping down, but Robert White is also, he's a current council member and he's also running. And so he's definitely, he's definitely at the top. He is basically guaranteed to win his spot again, because if you're, if you're an incumbent and people know your name and you don't really have scandal associated with you or like, and especially because DC is like doing pretty well, people are just going to vote for you because they know your name. Um, but beyond that, um, you know, this is what maybe where my advice is coming in. My dad is definitely a front runner, Ed Lazier. Vincent Orange, I think like his name recognition is like carrying him pretty far. Um, Marcus Goodwin, uh, and also Marcus Bachelor, who's, you know, the two Marcuses are very different. Um, so I hope people don't get them confused. Um, probably Katrina Henderson as well. Um, yeah, and you know, I don't I don't know for sure, but it feels like those those are the names that to me feel like I've like heard them talked about like as having like the most serious chances getting that second seat. Yeah, um where is your household? <laughs> <laughs> yeah we are deandre and i are roommates i don't know if we mentioned that before oh yeah like, i don't know if we said that yeah david literally does yeah deandre is like right on the other side of that wall <laughs> actually i have a question for you two actually yeah um that deandre you introduced this pod by saying that you wanted to bring me on because you feel like you know that like local politics is like very important i think we talked about why that is and that you feel like like, you know, I don't want to put this on you, but it felt like you were saying that you personally and also people in general, you feel like are not always as plugged in as they should be to DC politics. So I guess I'm, I'm curious for both of you, like how involved you feel or how plugged in you feel to what's happening in DC? Um, like what, like what the barriers are to being more involved. If you feel like you, like if you feel like you want to get more involved and you would know how to do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think to answer the like the last question you asked which is like if i wanted to get more involved would i know how to do that i don't really think i would know how to do that i think that like mm-hmm. i think if i had to like put myself on like a how plugged in scale i am from one to ten i would say like maybe a six like i think i have an idea of what the landscape is and in, in dc politics is politics in terms of like you know the mayor's policies what what the critiques of the mayor are like um the at-large election because mainly because of you and your father's running right and like me wanting to educate myself a little bit on that um and like general political movements in dc but i don't like you know i'm i'm definitely not an expert and i think there's more like definitely more room to grow and i don't i don't know if that would be like i don't know if that would be different if i was somewhere else you know like if i was 
back home in North Carolina, I, I never really knew a lot about local politics growing up or like, you know, while I was in school. Um, so yeah, I don't know. And I think that's like, I think your story is so common. I feel like the only reason that I, you know, grew up more immersed in all of it is because that was like, my dad worked for like a, you know, policy and advocacy organization that was local to DC. So, you know, it was like dinner table talk. But I feel that's, I feel like you're like, what you were saying is much more common. And that's wild to me because I feel like this might be a hot take, but I feel like in a lot of ways, like local politics are more important than national yeah. politics. Like, I feel like a lot of the issues that are like, you know, like a lot of the campaigns, a lot of the issues that are getting voted on, like have a much more immediate impact on all of our day to day. And it's also like, it's like, like it's such a smaller pool that it's like, it's a lot easier to actually make a difference. You know, if you're like working for a national advocacy nonprofit, you're really fighting to get your, like, to get your voice heard. And that's true in DC as well, but it's like so much easier to actually get FaceTime with council members to have your voice heard to like, and even, even as an individual, like where you put your money, your vote matters more. I like, I remember after the primary, um, I got to see some of the like initial tallies from the voting, from, like there were four voting stations in Petworth and seeing the initial tallies from the voting stations. And it was like, you know, like Brandon Todd who lost like, 400 votes Janice Lewis George 700 it's like wow that's like those numbers are those so are, those are small small they're so small they're like, you can, they're like you can wrap your head around those like that's like and like I like I honestly feel like we like did a lot of work on the lines that day um the voting lines and partially because the line like there weren't enough voting stations and you know people were voting past like 1 a.m but I like I honestly feel like if it was like it wasn't a close race but I think if it was it might have actually been decided by like turning voters in line. Like I think we turned a lot of people like yeah, like we turned a lot of people a day of just talking to them, like walking up and down, talking, passing out snacks. And it almost like it feels almost counterintuitive or wrong to me that like like I feel like I've like so ingrained in myself that like one person cannot make like can't make a difference like on their own. Like the world is too big, you do what you can. But and you know that that is still true. But it's yeah. Like I yeah, I guess the, the point of that was just a like a call for everyone to be more involved in local politics, even though I really, like I understand why it's easy to tune out. And like, I think I probably, if I had grown up in a different house, I probably would be in a similar place, but I wish we were all incentivized more. Like maybe like, maybe, like you know, it's easier to care about politics. All right, so firstly, David, uh, thanks for being my roommate and coming on the podcast. <laughs> um, um, who are your two like formal endorsements for at-large seat in DC? So my first endorsement is obviously going to be for my dad, Ed Lazier, though I will, I mean, you know me, I'm like a very political person, very principled person. I would 100% be voting for him if he were not my dad as well. Um, and then my second vote will be going to Marcus Batchelor, who is another... DC native, very progressive, um, you know, I think like someone who I really like trust on a personal level and also like agree with a lot of his policies. Cool. Uh, my second closing question, what have you been doing to stay sane during COVID? I've been taking lots of naps. <laughs> um, I've always, like since I've been in the working world, I've wished that I had a nap room to just go and like close my eyes for 15 minutes. I actually had one, I had one job where they did have a nap room. I was really excited. And then it turned out it was for people who were like breastfeeding their young children, which is totally fair. They needed more than me, but I was disappointed. Um, but yeah, lots of like both short 15 minute and like two hour, like I'm basically just like, just like having another night's sleep kind of naps. Helps a lot. Um, 
we'll put you know relevant links and stuff in the show notes is there anything that you want to plug or promote to the people <laughs> um i mean just every everybody vote if you're registered in dc you should have gotten the ballot in the mail um they all got sent out this week so if you haven't gotten it you should look into that make sure your address is um they have the right address for you you can also you can drop off your mail-in ballot or mail it back there's going to be in-person voting um a week before the election a week leading up to the election up through november 2nd um it's really all the like you know the relevant like locations and things like that it's all really easily googleable um but yeah that's what i'll plug um and as always, if you enjoyed what you heard, or you hated us, or you hated David, or you hate Ed Lazier, let us know at I'm the Villain Pod. You don't have to, you don't have to let me know if you hate me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let us know if you hate David, <laughs> and I'll pass it on. You, you can tell me. Yeah. Um, we're uh, at I'm the Villain Pod. That's our Twitter, our Gmail, and our Instagram. Uh, otherwise, bye.